Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Oh Lord, just as your servant John the Baptist needed to come and get clarity on your ministry, so do we, to understand what you're doing in our lives and the world. And so we come to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me to preach now. I pray for each one of us that you would grow us in wisdom and that you would strengthen this community of faith. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Happy Father's Day uh, to those of you that are dads out there. Um, We have an easy dads. We have an easy memory verse this week. I picked a real easy one for you. We're going to put it up here on the screen. This is the easiest one of the whole eight-week series. Um, It's the shortest, too. So we're going to say this together, and then uh, we're going to take it away and try and recite it from memory, and we also note the, the reference so we could find it later in the Bible. So let's say this together. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17. All right, you think you got that? Okay, let's do it again. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another, Proverbs 27, 17. Good work. Okay, today, the topic is community and what it looks like to be part of a community of faith. And I think it's very appropriate to consider this topic because we're on the tail end of you know, more than a year of social distancing, which is the worst plot of hell to wreck the church and isolate people and do all sorts of harm. And it's about pulling people back together and rebuilding community. And as a church, one of our core values is about emotional health. And and our subtext that we put under that value, you know, if you look at our vision statement, it says our vision is extending grace, discipling generations. And then there are seven core values listed. The one called emotional health has this as a subtext. It says that we are growing in self-awareness and seeking transformation in community. And that's what we're doing as, as a church. That's where iron sharpens iron, as one man or woman sharpens another. By the way, in Hebrew, it literally means, it literally says shines, like shines the face of. As one man, as iron sharpens iron, one man shines the face of another, like the face of, an, of a blade or something. So um, this is, there's a clash that happens in community where we interact with each other, and that's where we actually grow sharp. That's God's design, actually, for discipleship. Now, I don't know how this happened in my life, but I'm so thankful for it. For almost 10 years, I've gotten to captain a sailboat full of Anglican leaders and do this very kind of ministry. I'm, I'm part of a ministry called the Anglican Leadership Initiative. You could look it up, anglicanleadershipinitiative.org, and look at the testimonies of the dozens and dozens of Anglican clergy who've had their ministry reinvigorated through it. And it's a, it's a ministry to bishops, priests, and assistant priests, and there are two trips a year. One is up in the mountains of Colorado, and they form a community, they tent, they like camp up there at alpine level, they fly fish for their food, and they work through a whole leadership curriculum. And then the other one happens in January, and it's on a sailboat in the Caribbean. And I, I was asked by the leadership team to do a sailing class so I could charter the boat, and I go get a big boat, and then we bring all these men, these clergy men, onto this boat. And keep in mind, the boat is designed for like several couples to be comfortable in their little quarters and have wine and cheese every night. We put 12 men on this boat and cause a forced community for a week and work through a leadership curriculum. And the testimonies of what happens in those guys' lives is incredible. 
People come back saying, you saved my ministry, I was in burnout, or um, my marriage, or I'm totally doing the wrong ministry, I'm about to make that change, I knew I should have done, and until I talked with you guys, I just couldn't do it. And one of the things that's so powerful about that is it's peer-to-peer learning, and it's creating a community of leaders in our Anglican movement that is strengthening the whole church. And as one of the leaders in it, I now have a group of other senior pastors of similar type churches that I can lean on. And we're all, by the way, stealing each other's stuff off the internet. They're looking at how everyone's handling the pandemic, and we're all getting, you know, peer-to-peer learning. But I think that's how the Christian faith is supposed to work. We're actually supposed to work with one another and sharpen each other and grow together. Isolation does the exact opposite of emotional health. Instead of growing in self-awareness and seeking transformation, you don't know where your weaknesses are, and you don't, you don't change. You just stay alone in isolation, and you stay stuck in your same old sins. The minute you come into a community of faith, you start to grow. You start to be transformed. Now, our text today, you probably want to look at one of these. Grab a pew Bible. It's page 533. It's Proverbs chapter 9. And I only had read for us the middle section. And as you get there, page 533, let me set up the metaphor that is chapter 9. The author, Solomon, or whoever's writing in his name, has given us the metaphor of a personified wisdom as a woman who has built a house and put together a feast and contrasts that with a woman, Folly, who is leading people into sin and failure. And so we've got Proverbs chapter 9, and we've got these two different types of houses, and in the center is a community where there's correction and reproof and instruction being given to the participants. And by the way, it bookends with chapter 1. Remember our first memory verse, Proverbs 1, 7? Dare I ask you to recite it? No, I won't. No, I won't. But it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, and in that case, it's knowledge. It gets confusing because in this chapter, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But wisdom and knowledge, are they interact. Instruction, they all kind of work together. So chapter 1 and chapter 9 form bookends. And in fact, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10 is a new section. So here we go. To the end of the first section, we come to this idea. And this is, these, these are my words. Wisdom's house is a banquet of presence and reproof. And I'm going to let that statement be the outline for this sermon. Wisdom's house is a banquet of presence and reproof. And let me start with wisdom's house is a banquet. We've got two types of houses in chapter 9. The house of Lady Wisdom and then the house of Lady Folly. And in the middle is a description of the interaction of the participants. But right away, here's the human problem. We're individuals, or so we think. We don't naturally like community. If you look at all the way back to Genesis, Cain and Abel, the two brothers, they get into a fight, and Cain murders Abel, and God goes to him and says, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. Where is your brother? And you know what he says? What am I, my brother's keeper? He's trying to say, I'm not responsible for the community, and God actually thinks we are. But we tend to pull away from community, and we want to go it alone. And it's particularly bad in the West, in Western societies. In more Eastern societies, it's more family-oriented, and there's a better sense of community. But out here, we we want to go it alone to our own detriment. And we resist challenge. When someone challenges you, how do you respond? 
Most of us respond either with a fight or flight reaction. We either attack the challenger back or we scare away from them and we say, I'm never going near that guy. He's, he's dangerous. He's not safe. He challenges me. I don't want to be challenged. I had a seminary professor who said, don't ever challenge your congregation from the pulpit. They're, they're weary. They showed up in church. They're just, they just need some encouragement. If you're going to challenge them, say, I want to encourage you and then challenge them. But don't say, I want to challenge you to do something. We don't like being challenged. We resist it. We push back or we flee it, fight or flight. Also, the thought of having our sins or our weaknesses or our flaws become known causes a huge shame to well up within us. And so we will do whatever we can to hide that stuff, even resist being in Christian community. So that's the human problem we've got. And yet here we are in, wisdom, in the wisdom literature in Proverbs chapter 9, and we have an invitation to a banquet. And so let me, let me read the part that we didn't read. This is, this is Proverbs 9, just, just the first five verses. Wisdom, capital W, has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. There's an invitation here. Wisdom's house is a banquet. That's my first point. Wisdom's house is a banquet. Lady Wisdom is offering feasting and joy, not fasting, not lacking, not, you know, two scraps of moldy bread. She slaughtered her animals. She's mixed her wine. She's prepared a table. And she said, if you lack wisdom, if you are simple, if you are naive, come, feast, be part of this. And then she sent out her young women to go all through the town and invite anyone who wants to be part of it. And so right away, we find a huge house. She has hewn her seven pillars. This is a big estate, bigger than a normal mansion. It can, it can feast and feed many people. So right away, we've got a picture of Lady Wisdom, a banquet of feasting and joy, and a big house with lots of people invited. Now, the contrast, the bookend, the other part, I'm going to skip over the middle part we read, and I'm going to go to, chapter, to verse 13. But the other lady has also something that she's inviting people to. The woman folly is loud, she's seductive, and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes her seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going on the straight way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But, she does, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which is a concept like hell. First of all, it's not a feast. This is bread and water. Like, there's no real meal here. This is not a great party. The only thing that makes it look attractive is it's done in secret. It's stolen water. And when we do something that's wrong, there is a, a, a tantalizing, a tingling effect to it because we're breaking a rule. And so it might be bread, but because it's stolen, all of a sudden it's got this excitement to it. And think about, you know, any kind of addiction. It it isolates, it pulls people away, and they go into their secrecy, the obsession that they have. You know, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. There's, there's, a, there's a guy that's uh, a classmate of mine in a degree program I'm in, and he's a recovering heroin addict. 
And to look at him, you wouldn't know it. He's studying for, he's in the Presbyterian church, he's studying to be an ordained pastor, and he's learning how to preach, and he's a really sharp guy. But he described how he used to be part of a community that partied a lot, and he started using drugs, and it got worse and worse until it was heroin, and it got worse and worse until all he wanted to do was get his needle and his heroin and get away from everyone else and go off into a private room and shoot up and just feel the euphoria of drugs. He said he had alienated everyone in his life that he knew, everyone that loved him. He cut them all off. All he cared about was getting the drugs from his dealer and shooting up. Sin isolates. It separates. It causes us to hide. It breaks community. Think about Adam and Eve. They hid from God once they sinned, and then they hid from each other and blamed each other. Sin separates. It pulls us apart. Addictions, all these kind of things. We start to sneak stuff. You know, if you have an addiction to shopping, you start using the credit card that your spouse doesn't see. You have an addiction to the internet. You start clearing your search history incessantly so that someone won't find out. You go and do things alone. You have an addiction to food. You wait until everyone's gone and you go back into the kitchen and eat it in secret. That's what Lady Folly is inviting to. Isolation and a meal of bread and water and no guests. He doesn't realize that her guests are all dead. Their corpse is there and he's in the threshold of Sheol. The Bible is setting up the way of life and the way of death. Again, two polar opposites, and chapter nine is saying, where would you like to be? The feast with the people in Lady Wisdom's house or death in Lady Folly's house? Where would you like to be? Wisdom's house is a banquet. Now, if you look at Jesus's ministry, he even sent out pairs to go get a donkey that he needed. He didn't just send one guy, he sent them in pairs. And he sent them out on mission in in pairs, in teams. He recognized the need we have for one another. You know the only time he sent someone out alone? It was when he sent Judas out to go betray him after Satan had entered into Judas's heart. And what does sin do? It separates and isolates. So off goes Judas to get his 30 pieces of silver to betray the Son of Man alone in the depths of Sheol. Wisdom's house is a banquet And my second idea is this. Wisdom's house is a banquet of presence. The middle of the middle section, verse 10, says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. God is at the center of this banquet. He is the centerpiece. And so the fear of the Lord, reverence, knowledge, awe, worship, just like verse Uh, Chapter 1, verse 7 had, as we started into the invitation to wisdom, again, we come back to God at the center of this feast. He is present there, and because of that, his grace is the center of the community. It's while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. He's already met our needs before we even know we had them. And when we find that, we realize, I'm actually safe to admit I'm a sinner. It doesn't make me a hypocrite. I'm a broken man. And I'm someone who's being transformed. And because I know that my sins are already paid for on the cross, I can be courageous and go into the Christian community and let my brothers and sisters in Christ challenge me. Let the other priests on that boat point things out about my character or my ministry or whatever. And the iron starts shining the face of the other. Iron sharpening iron. One man sharpening another. That happens in community. So the first presence at this banquet is the Lord. And I'm secure because of the cross. In fact, It's Father's Day, so I think this is an appropriate text to jump to. Hebrews 12, 5, and 6 talks about how fathers that love their kids will discipline them. It says this, um, 
In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? And then he quotes Proverbs 3. This is Hebrews 12, quoting Proverbs 3. My son and daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son or daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's a presence of, it's a, the banquet is one of presence and the Lord is at the center and because he loves you, he is going to discipline you. He's going to transform you. He's gonna challenge you and encourage you. All because he loves you too much to let you stay there. He's bringing you to perfection in Christ. Now the second, you know, wisdom's house is a banquet of presence and the Lord is present, but also other wisdom seekers are present at this banquet. And this is the section we had read to you. Consider what is implied here. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Well, wait a minute. Now we have two people involved. We have someone correcting and someone being corrected. It's implying that the, the community is going to interact. But what it does is it sets up two kinds of interactions, one with a fool and one with a wise person. So in my Bible, I took a red pen and I circled the three things that happen if you try to reprove or correct or give instruction to a fool. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, circled abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. So abuse, injury, and hatred. That's what will happen if you try to bring some instruction to a fool or a scoffer or a mocker. And you think, well, why would I do that? Well, you know, in the workplace maybe, you, you got somebody you're working with and they're not doing the job well and you go to try and help them and they kick back and abuse you and gossip about you. Well, the fool doesn't want to be taught. The fool is not teachable. Teachable is one of those key hiring traits, by the way, if you're looking, somebody, looking for somebody to be on your team. They can be taught. They don't kick back and have a problem about you know, authority or whatever if you, if you presume to teach them and instruct them. But then look at what happens if, if it's a wise person. Verse nine says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. I drew a blue square around that, wiser. And teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. I drew a square around that, learning. And, the, um, and then, uh, oh, I, I skipped one. Oh, reprove a wise man and he will love you. I drew a box around love. So you get love and the wise man gets wiser and the wise person grows in learning. That's what happens at this banquet. So wisdom's house is a banquet of presence and reproof where you're being challenged, but in a good way. You're being encouraged. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament used the metaphor of a body. He said the church is a body, Christ is the head, and we, the Christians, are the members. The Christians are the body parts of this body, and they're interacting and working and building one another up so the whole body gets built up. This is God's design. So as a recap, Wisdom's house is a banquet, which equals a good thing. It's a feast. It's not starving you. It's not hurting you. It's helping you. It's feasting and, and it's uh, serving you. Wisdom's house is a banquet of presence. God and other wise ones are there. And wisdom's house is a banquet of presence and reproof. 
We are seeking self-awareness and transformation in community. And so there's growth that happens. So here's, here's the question. Am I putting my life and faith into Christian community where it can be challenged? Or am I isolating? Am I hiding? Am I not open to correction, instruction, reproof, learning? Am I not willing to be part of a community that is iron sharpening iron? And how do I respond when reproof comes my way, when someone tries to help me or show me something where I might not be doing great? How do I respond? Fight or flight? Or do I welcome the growth and swallow my pride and go, wow, thanks for pointing that out? You know, because there are parts of ourselves that we can't see, but those around us can see. And if you're married, one of the most courageous and helpful questions you could ask is to ask your spouse, where do I need to grow? Where is my character lacking? What do you wish would change in me? That takes guts, because they'll tell you right away, because they can see it, because they're in close community with you. And the church is a type of community like that. And maybe you can't do it with your spouse, but maybe you could ask a brother or sister in Christ in your men's group or your women's group or your small group, you know, where are you being challenged and encouraged to grow? I want you to join the banquet. I want you to get involved in the life of the church. Now, I'm gonna pray in a second, and then we're gonna sing um, a song called In My Father's House, and it's an invitation to be part of Wisdom's House. And we usually sing this song at funerals, but we're actually gonna sing it today as our sermon response song, because it's this picture of the invitation that we're being led into. And my hope is that you will join into the church not just show up on Sunday, but engage with people, become known and know others, and grow as a result, because iron sharpens iron. Wisdom's house is a banquet of presence and reproof. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask you in the wake of this pandemic, well, first of all, to just end the pandemic, that you would get rid of this virus, but I pray that you would rebuild the body that's been so decimated by it. Bring the lost sheep back. Help us to reach out to others. I pray that this church would be a community of growth and discipleship and health, emotional health. Lord, give us a desire to be more and more a part of this community. And give us the courage, Lord, to welcome instruction. Make us wise, please, for your love's sake. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand for our sermon response song. Mm -hmm.